We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is a miracle. Victoria Arlen is a published author, 2012 gold medalist, ESPN host, American Ninja Warrior junior host, and season 25 Dancing with the Stars contestant. But that's not what makes her a miracle. Her insatiable hope, tremendous faith, and will to live make her a miracle. Welcome to ROG, Victoria. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure to have you, get the chance to finally meet you and learn more. Could you please share some of your story with our listeners? Yes, I will give, I'll give a bit of a cliff notes. I feel like we could talk for hours, but when I was 11, I developed two incredibly rare neurological conditions called transverse myelitis, and acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. So basically what happened is my body started attacking itself and it it targeted my brain and my spinal cord. These were still considered relatively unknown and doctors weren't super well-versed. But anyway, so very quickly I slipped into a vegetative state. So in the over the course of three months, I became paralyzed from the waist down. And then by the time I had reached the unresponsiveness, pretty much told my parents, I wasn't going to make it. And that if I did make it, you know, the Victoria they once knew was never coming back and that they should basically put me in a special care facility because I won't amount to anything. And so they set up a hospital room in our living room and brought the world to me, unaware that the whole time I'm aware of what's going on. I'm what they call locked in. And so nobody knew that I was locked in. So I'm trying to scream for help and ask what's going on. And hearing, you know, well, she's not here anymore. She's gone. She's not going to make it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm completely mentally intact, but nobody knew. So I remember realizing I had my eyes. And so my mom walked in and I'm staring at her. And she's kind of like, because before they were just fixed or rolled in the back of my head or wherever, just stuck. And so she comes in and I'm, I'm just staring at her and she's walking across the room and I'm just looking and I'm looking and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Like I was like, I've never been so excited in my entire life. And so I, um, she comes towards me and she can tell I'm staring at her. She kind of took a moment and she was just like, Victoria, if you can hear me, can you blink twice? And I just went like, just like crazy because that was the key to unlock this, this prison I've been in for four years. And so from there was a very long and, um, you know, at times painful and and challenging recovery, but I basically had to start from scratch. I was basically a newborn baby in a 15 year old body trying to learn how to sit up again, trying to learn how to, you know, hold a, hold a, you know, hold a pencil again, hold, be able to like get myself dressed, get myself, find this new normal. And at that point, that is when doctors also were kind of like, we don't know the extent of the brain damage. We don't know the extent of her speaking that'll come back. And and everything, but she's definitely never going to walk again. Like she's going to be in a wheelchair. And I was at that point starting, I worked with a speech therapist for a very long time um, and starting to put words together. But I was like so excited to speak that I, I kept wanting to just like say a million words because I had so much built up. 
And so it was learning how to take word for word for word and find different ways to communicate through sign language, through a communication board, through blinking. And so for me, it was just once I started talking like fully, I didn't really stop. And from there, you know, I went back to school. I got that. I got into swimming. I got a hot pink chrome wheelchair and I I just found a new normal for me. And and I found, you know, success in swimming. I found, you know, I I got caught up in school and, and I really just kind of got back into life. And so it was really a very long and and kind of crazy journey, but almost two years to the day of coming out of the vegetative state, I ended up at the London 2012 games, um, which was crazy. A really, really crazy. And when I, when I won, um, it was the hundred meter freestyle. And I remember when I won, I like looked over at my family and they come down and they were crying. And I remember being like, that was like the moment where we all knew everything was going to be okay. That's kind of when I started sharing my story. And that's actually how I initially ended up at ESPN and I was, you know, still swimming at the time. And I had spoken um, to the entire security team. And I remember Mike Heimbach, who was the the captain of everyone there, he came up to me and he said, have you ever thought of a career in broadcasting? And I was 19 at the time. And I was like, I don't know, like, I love talking and stuff. But like, I was kind of finishing out my swimming career. I had always been a fan of ESPN. And so I went, I went on a tour and I got to watch a live taping of SportsCenter and it was just this like light bulb moment. And I remember just being like, like it was a blink moment for me. Like it was just like this, this full circle thing. And so I remember Bill, um, Bill had me come into his office and Kate was there and he, he said, you know, this is my colleague Kate and, and we're running the Special Big World Games and we would like you to be our, our reporter and I just was like, can you say that again? And Kate's like, yes, we're offering you a job. And then from there, it kind of opened up the door to, you know, so the only thing that was left that I hadn't done yet was walk. And so for me, it was always like that one thing that I was like, what if like I am talking, I'm sitting up, I'm working, like I am a functional member of society. Like I pay taxes, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm doing all these things, but this is one thing where I'm kind of like, hmm. And my family had always had always promised me that they would do, you know, whatever it it takes to get back everything that was taken away from me. And so that one thing, you know, the no stone left unturned. And so the one thing that I hadn't done was walk or even be able to stand, you know. And and so I remember we went to a specialist and the specialist, we were talking to the specialist and we were like, you know, what are the chances? There's all these breakthroughs with with spinal cord injuries and nerve damage. Let's you know, let's, um, let's just give it all that I have. You know what I mean? And and so for months and months, we got nothing out of my legs, but it was doing something. And sure enough, almost a year later, we got a flicker in my right hip flexor. And that was the first active, you know, muscle recruitment we'd ever gotten. And then from there, I learned to stand. I learned to take little baby steps. And then almost 10 years to the day of becoming paralyzed, I started walking. So in in uh, April of 2016, I started walking, and then a year and a half later, I attempted to dance on Dance Through the Stars, and here we are. That's a, I give you a very long cliff notes. Um, there's a lot. Wow, there is so much there. You truly are a miracle in so many ways, and there's so much even more to that story. So everybody needs to get the book Locked In: The Will to Survive and the Resolve to Live so they can understand even more deeply before we move off of Dancing with the Stars. You didn't just attempt to be on Dancing with the Stars. 
Could you just share a little bit about your success on Dancing with the Stars? So that was a big win for me. So I went in for a meeting and they're like, you know, we would love to have you on the show. Is this something you'd be interested in? And I was like, yeah, like I think so. And and then um, I ended up flying to, I was flying, um, I was flying to Minneapolis for the X Games. And I remember I got the call from my agent and he was like, hey, you're going to be on Dancing with the Stars this fall. And I remember like agreeing to it and then having to go on air a few minutes later and just being like, oh no, this is happening. And I couldn't tell anyone. I literally could tell my parents and that was it. And so um, that was a crazy journey. I realized the very first day, um, it's really hard to dance without feeling your legs. And I had only been walking for a year and a half, a year without any any braces or supports. And so it was a bit of a shock to... Um, to my system. But I remember, I remember the first dance, um, no one really knew what to expect. And it kind of blew up a lot more than any of the producers were thinking and anyone, anything that anyone had warned me about slash I was imagining. And I remember I'm in this, uh, they show a package, the intro package, and you see me in this vegetative state. And all of a sudden I'm standing out there and I just like, I froze and the package is still going. But all of a sudden I went back to being in that vegetative state. I went back to being in that wheelchair. And all of a sudden I just stood there and was like, oh no. Like I just like got, I went back in. And then all of a sudden I hear, I hear Victoria, Victoria. And I look, I look to the left and it's my dance partner running towards me. And then I look down and I'm in this hot pink fringy pants and fringy top. And it's like, and then all the music starting and he just grabs me and takes me and he goes, let's go change the world. And so it was really cool to um, be able to do that and not fall on national television. And you did a tremendous job. I will put a link to all of your dances in the show notes because you're being extraordinarily humble, which is, I think, part of your character as well, which is so remarkable. But you're a person who keeps your promises. You said, I will use my voice, that I will change the world, that I will not waste a minute, that I will help people. And I also love how grounded in gratitude you continue to be. And even when all you had was your thoughts, you chose to focus on what you're grateful for. And I think that's something for all of our listeners to take to heart is, you know, when we don't think we have anything or when we think the the deck is stacked against us we can go to gratitude. I mean, what have you learned from using gratitude as a superpower? I think for me, it's you, you have two paths to go about things. You can go down the path of negativity. You can go down the path where it's always raining. You know, it's, it's always raining. And that's always the code word I use with, you know, my, my mom, um, whenever I'm having a moment or whatever, I'm like, it's raining. And so you can go down the path where it's always raining. It's, it's damp, it's dark, it's, it's uncomfortable. Or you can go down the path of, you know, gratitude and being like, well, the sun's going to come out and a rainbow is going to come. So right now I'm going to put on my hot pink puddle jumpers, get an umbrella, put on my rain jacket and jump in a puddle. And so it's, it's kind of finding those, those, which path you're going to take. And it, it's a lot, it's comfortably uncomfortable to go down the negativity path because in a sense we get caught in this vortex of, of negative thinking of thinking, you know, things won't get better. I'm not good enough from whatever it is you may be going through. But when you take that other path, it's, it's oddly peaceful to the point where you're like waiting for the chaos. You're looking for the chaos. And so when you root it in gratitude and realize, you know, the like almost shifting your perspective, you create hope, which allows you to kind of look at things a little bit differently. And yes, the world might be ending. Yes, it might be raining, but you've got an umbrella. 
you've got a lot of strength in there. You've got your puddle jumpers. You've got the tools to get through it. And you're a heck of a lot stronger than you realize you are. And sometimes you just have to jump in the puddle and realize the rainbow's going to come out. The sun's going to shine. It does not rain forever. And so it's, it's understanding that. But when it does rain, get out your umbrella or don't even dance in the rain, you know, and, and jump in a puddle. And, and that's something, you know, I think I, I realized a lot, too. And, and that was something, too, where I'm like, OK, it's raining, but I've got my rain boots. And so for however long the storm lasts, I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and find the little miracles and, and blinks of hope along the way. When we come back, Victoria will share about her experiences at ESPN and their incredibly inclusive culture. Hello, I'm Marianne Newell, Assistant Director of College Support at St. Joseph University's Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. Located in Philadelphia, the Kinney Center has a twofold mission to educate and train the autism professionals of tomorrow while supporting and serving individuals and families affected by autism today. I'm part of the Aspire College Support Team, helping St. Joseph's University students with autism achieve collegiate success through social and executive functioning support. Learn more about our services by visiting sju.edu slash k-i-n-n-e-y. And we're back with more from the one and only Victoria Arlen. I think it's helpful for listeners to understand your experience as talent and the role that ESPN played and just what are some of the things that you could call out to other employers and leaders who are listening on how they could be inclusive and find ways to be able to accommodate the kind of talent that they might have access to. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I um I was actually speaking on a panel a couple months ago, and people were sharing their different stories and the things they they have dealt with and struggled with having a disability in the workforce. And I remember sitting there and being like, "Really? Like really?" And and for me, it was it. No one ever. It wasn't a part of the conversation. Like no one skipped a beat. And and I remember telling my mom, I said, "I feel more accepted here than I did in high school." than I did in school, than I did when I tried to swim on an able-bodied team. Like it was, it was such a place of like, you're, you're there for, you're there for your job. And if you can do your job and you work hard at your job, then that's really all that matters and being a good person. And so I remember looking back and, and I've, I've talked to, and um, I've had so many amazing friends and mentors and people that I've encountered along the way at ESPN. And we look back and laugh at, at the different things and no one thought twice about it. Like they, you know, no one was phased that, okay, the reporter is in a wheelchair. Like we're going to put her in a director's chair and she's going to sit next to Michael Phelps and interview Michael Phelps. And it's no big deal. And then, you know, and, and Victoria's, oh, Victoria's pulling the wagon with all the camera equipment, you know, to her dismay. And while we're like, stop pulling the camera equipment. And so it was one of those things that no one skipped a beat, but I also wasn't, you know, in a sense exploited either for the fact, oh, if this is a disabled reporter. No, this is Victoria Arlen reporting. So what advice do you have for people who are listening and really want to be more inclusive? They want to participate in a world where everybody belongs. What could you tell us, Victoria? I mean, that is my dream, is that we we live in a world where where everyone belongs. And as, as cheesy as that sounds, it really is. You know, depend, it doesn't matter, you know, what you can and can't do, what you look like, what where you come from, um, is just, is everyone's got a story. And I think, that's something that I've learned so much working 
in television, sharing so many stories, but also with my own story and also just the stories I've heard is that everyone has a story. And so if we can go about life and the people we encounter with compassion, gratitude, empathy, and just this joy that you want everyone else to find is, as I think that would make the world just a beautiful place, almost in a sense, giving them a hug, maybe not a physical hug, but in a sense, going about the world and going, whether it's wherever you come from is honoring everyone's story. This person might not be able to walk. This person might not be able to talk, but boy, do they have a brain. Boy, do they have a story. Boy, do they have this ability to do something amazing. And so I think that's that's the big thing is to kind of go about every single day, no matter what, disabilities, not disabilities, different backgrounds, colors, everything is go about it with empathy and love and know that we're all here on this crazy earth for a reason but we're all in this together. And I think we we're coming from a space where we've all been so divided for so long this last year and a half with COVID that it's, it's going about with that love and empathy and leading your life with that. And that was a huge thing for me that I learned in the vegetative state, in the positions where I saw doctors giving up on me. I saw doctors making fun of my parents for, for having hope that I would come out of this. I saw, you know, abuse from nurses and, and, For me, I learned to find a space of empathy and love and gratitude and realize, you know, this is a space that this is, this is the, this is the space I'm going to choose to live in. And by doing so, I really hope others, others will, will find that or will learn from that or be inspired by that. Because at the end of the day, all you can control is yourself and how you go about things, whether it's success or challenges or moments where you're like, what am I doing? How do I do this? How do I get out of this? And so I think it's it's staying rooted in your in your having empathy, love, joy, and and gratitude, and and sprinkling your faith amongst it all. I think those are big things to go about that, and just knowing, like, taking yourself out of the ego and being like, you know, where does what do I want to give to this world? Because we only have a limited time here, so leave your impact because we're all able to leave an impact here. And part of your impact and the way that you're changing the world is through your Victoria's Victory Foundation, where you are really taking that promise and saying, how can I be of service? How can I create a place where people get the support they need, the love they need, the compassion, the the companionship, the fellowship, the community? So you have created this Victory Foundation. The link is in the show notes. Tell us a little bit about that. And then I'd love to close with your favorite mantra. Yes. So um, Victoria's Victory Foundation. Since I was a little girl, I have wanted to help people. I remember my mom would put me to bed and and I just wanted to help people. And I would be so distraught over, over different issues in the world and stuff. And she's like, yes, we can do that when we go to bed. We have to go to bed. We have to rest up. And so for me, um, that's always been a dream of mine. And when I came out of this, I dealt with a lot of survivor's guilt. And I remember being like, how come I got the miracle? And 99.9% of the people don't get that miracle. And I remember I couldn't understand that. And, and yes, I had success and I was doing all these things that I love to do. But I, I, it was always in the back of my mind. And I remember um, kind of kind of around the time I was writing my book, um, just having this complete mental breakdown. And it was kind of my first, you know, being hit by a train by, you know, post-traumatic stress and, um, and on, you know, where I learned about anxiety and depression and how you can't just hide behind a smile. 
and realizing that and in, in such a state of, um, you know, despair and pain, realizing like, okay, how can I find a purpose for this? And I remember, you know, we at Project Walk, we saw so many people where my mom was like, I can donate hours for people to come here, but this person doesn't have a wheelchair that fits them. This person can't get out of the house. This person can't have specialized nursing care. And we donated all my equipment to different families in need. We donated our van. We donated our my wheelchairs. And like one woman hadn't been out of the house in four years until we gave her my wheelchair. And I was fresh out of my wheelchair at that point. And I would have still probably given it to her, even if I still needed my wheelchair. And, and, um, and so I remember when we were starting, I remember being like, I want to help. I want to help people. I want, I've been so blessed. I have been so freaking blessed that I want to be a blessing to others. And so, um, we assembled an incredible team and I said, I was like, I want to do this. I want there to be no such thing as a lost cause. And when we started, it was pretty crazy how it all kind of came about. And, and next thing you know, we we launched our Victory Scholarship Program and we're helping people all over the country with all sorts, all ages, from teeny tiny babies to 80 year olds. Like we just it was incredible to see how quickly how quickly um, we were able to get to work. And it's crazy because, you know, it, it, the disability world is often a forgotten community. Because you're you're pretty much given, you know, a, an option of a hospital bed or a wheelchair. You're you're not going to get a wheelchair van. You're not going to get adaptations at home. And I was so fortunate that my family we had the means to have the proper equipment. But how many people do not? And so to kind of bring it all together, that was really all the other things were part of it. But that was really the big thing where I realized I'm like I realized why I survived. And, and this gave me a purpose for that pain to help other people in pain and other people in, who are struggling find their purpose again. Because like I said, it's it's empathy, it's love, it's gratitude, it's compassion, but it's also reaching out your hand and helping someone else. And I always, I always say, you know, like this whole journey was climbing a mountain, but when you get to the top, you want someone to enjoy the view with. You want to help someone else get up there too. And so it's been just such a joy to see and and to be able to continue to use my platform to help people. It's, it's been really, it's been really incredible. And it came from such a place where I was really just struggling. And then to now see, you know, the miracles in motion, it's, it's, it's been really special. It is so incredible to get the chance to hear this live and to learn more about you and what I would describe as your generosity journey, your generosity story. You're the kind of person who takes inventory in what you have and, feels most alive when you give, right? You grow when you give. And that's something you have modeled throughout your whole life in every way, in the most remarkable ways. So thank you for sharing that encouragement and for creating that foundation where we can participate. So your mantra, which is on the wall and Project Walk in Boston, it is face it, embrace it, defy it, conquer it. Victoria Arlen, how can we apply this mantra to our own life. So I came up with this um, when I was very sick and I realized very early on that everyone has challenges. Mine were, pre- mine were pretty dramatic challenges, but I realized I have to face this challenge head on. You can't hide from it. You can't rush it under the rug because at the end of the day, it's there. And so I had to face it. Then I had to almost embrace it. Like you almost have to kind of welcome the challenge in. And as much as you don't want to hug it and, and let it in, you, it's there. So what are you going to do? 
you know, just bring it in. And so it's, it's, it's embracing those struggles and embracing those challenges, which ultimately give you the strength to defy, to defy the obstacles, to defy the naysayers, to defy the circumstances or the lost cause, you know, label you're given, which ultimately allows you to conquer it. And so for me, it's with challenges, you got to face them. You got to embrace them as painful as that hug might be. But then at the end of the day, you get to defy them and conquer them. How often do you use this mantra in all areas of your life? There's, it's a roller coaster. We're all on a roller coaster. And, and even yesterday I had a, I had a meeting with my neurologist and I had a, a, my neuro tests were not good. And I remember just being like, cause like every now and then I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like we're fine. Like nothing's wrong. Like I get to be normal. And then like reality hits and, um, and my legs had regressed a little bit. And so we did this neuro test and I remember getting in my car and I'm like, well, Victoria, we're going to face it, embrace it, defy it and conquer it. And, and so it's something that I, I use every day because look, at the end of the day, we all have challenges. We all have obstacles. Um, we've learned that a lot the hard way this last year and a half. And so if you can have something, whether it's this quote or whatever quote you find, if you can root yourself in something that kind of just reminds you to flip the switch and to not go down the path of um, of sneaking thinking and just kind of keep your keep your eye on the prize, keep your head up. And it's impossible. It's impossible not to succeed if you have your head up. And if you're just trying, it's the moment you, it's the moment you look down and stop trying that you fail. So, and it's okay to fail too. And look at you, right? I mean, if, if, if you're a role model for what could be possible, even if we are at rock bottom. So thank you for living boldly and for using your voice to change the world. I am so deeply grateful for you, Victoria. Thank you. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. There are so many elements to Victoria's story that are profound and miraculous. She's a true champion, more than her medals and victories, but as a contributor to society and everyone who knows her. Here are three things that we could model in our own lives. Gratitude, attitude, and community. Gratitude. You know that I'm a raving fan of gratitude. It's a superpower. Gratitude has been scientifically proven to improve our health, wellness, relationships, and perspective. Of the many things in life that we can't control, we can control ourselves and time to reflect on what we're grateful for. Even when she was in her vegetative state, Victoria found hope by appreciating the things in her life that she was grateful for. There were so many things that she couldn't change and didn't have. She recognized one thing that she could change was what to focus on and appreciate what she did have. How about you? What's something you're taking for granted right now? You can control it, but you've lost sight of that fact. Maybe it's how you're communicating with someone or yourself. Attitude. We've heard it said, attitude determines altitude. Attitude is everything. Charles Swindle wrote in a piece called Attitude, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% what we do about it. Victoria said, I think staying rooted in empathy, love, joy, and gratitude, and sprinkling your faith amongst it all, taking yourself out of your ego and asking, what do I want to give to this world? Because we all have a limited time here to leave our impact. Woo-wee. Yeah, that. We can all impact the world. It's an attitude of agency and service. We need to be rooted in empathy, love, joy, gratitude. 
that's an attitude of positivity and possibility. How would you describe, in general, your attitude? Do you tend to bring energy and optimism to situations in your life? Do you complain a lot? Little things get on your nerves? What if life was only 10% of what happens to us and 90% what we do about it? How would that change things for you? And then community. Think about the communities that you belong to. Your family, neighbors, your friend community. Maybe you're an alumna of a certain school or program. Maybe you've been in a sorority or fraternity or the military or service projects. You may be a member of a worship community or a group of people rallied around a cause. We all need a support network that believes in us. Victoria referred to her family, her dance partner, her team at ESPN. Having people in her corner accommodated and supported her and also enabled her to go above and beyond. Her dance partner even said, let's change the world. And they did. Who's in your community? How do they support you? How do you support them? How can you deepen those friendships and relationships? Invest in your communities. They are precious gifts for us and they meet our human need to belong. Join us next week, episode 55, as we meet with Marianne Newell and Jalen Dotson from St. Joseph University Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. They will dispel some of the myths about autism and share the truth about the talent and capacity of people with autism. Don't miss it. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.